0: What she told me this morning, I told her says I like that song. I'll sing with y'all, and she said, "Here's what she said: You're too white." <laughs> so I'm not going to say it was good or bad. I'm just going to leave it there. So just <laughs> this morning we got a special treat. Of course, as you can see, we're having the Lord's supper. And the Lord's Supper is one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Bible. It talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read the story in a moment or two. But this passage here says a whole lot about a lot of things. In fact, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, which, by the way, if you go back and check, you'll find that he said this church had more abilities, more talents. I mean, just it was a tremendous church, but it was also a carnal church. And so he addressed this in this passage. But this picture is taking place. We all know what the Lord's Supper was, the last, the last supper, I think we call it most of the time nowadays. But the night before the crucifixion, Jesus had supper with his disciples. And that's where this passage comes from. And he told them, and remember, they didn't understand what was happening. The twelve disciples, they were there in that room, but they didn't understand. Of course, one of them was being Judas. He knew what he was fixing to do. But this story begins and talks about what this ordinance is. It's one of the two ordinances we have in the church. The ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. There's no time frame as to how often we do this. It just says to do it. In fact, on the front of this table, you'll probably read those words, this do in remembrance of me. And so this is something that we're told to remember what Jesus did for us during this time that we look at this. But he also says it's a very special, I guess the best word I can think of, observance. In fact, let's read the, the passage beginning in chapter, uh, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, in verse 17. Let's stand together with it as we read God's Word. Now I'm going to read the whole part of it here so it's a little bit lengthy, but listen to these words. Now Paul's writing to us, the church. He's now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper off ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Remember, he's speaking to a church. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you, he says. And watch this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you Till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, first of all, for this ordinance that you set aside, that we can remember you and the things that were done and how it impacts our life even these 2,000 years later. That, Lord, we're still trying to lift up the standards that you've set for each one of us. Lord, we just ask that you would take this in just a few minutes as we take these elements and that, Lord, we would just take it, as Paul says, in a worthy manner. Lord, just go with us through this service today and for the other part we've got in just a few moments after this. And we just ask that you would bless this service in a mighty way. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Paul tells us, you may be seated. Paul tells us several things here. And today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Now our church, in case you're not aware, has chosen to do it every quarter. There's no time frame. Some churches do it every month. Some even do it every week. And so it's just, each church is different. This church, I suppose years ago, was set aside every, every quarter. will observe the Lord's Supper. And then that's what we're doing. And so it's not a as particular as when you do it, as how you do it, as Paul just wrote. He says, be careful how you do it. In fact, one of the verses that stand out in my mind is verse 23. Uh, it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, the body, and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For a number of years, that little phrase right there, that we're unworthy to take it, bothered me tremendously. Because I knew I was not worthy in that sense of the word. But that's not what he's saying to us. I mean, it is what he's saying. But yet at the same time, he's telling us that through Jesus Christ, you're worthy. Now, this is just my feelings, my thoughts. And so I, I want to share with you. But now I know we got visitors here. I believe that this ordinance is set up for the born-again Christians today. Our church members. Whether it be this church or another church. But yet, let me say this. If you're here this morning and you want to participate, by all means, you're, nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to try to stop you. This is the Lord's table. It's not my table. I can't tell you who can take of it and who can't. But I'm telling you, I, personally, I believe it's set up for the born-again Christians uh, as we come together as a body of Christ. And so here in just a few moments, we're going to take this ordinance. And let me explain this just a little bit. This is... representative of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. All that's in this juice is just grape juice. Probably be Welch's if I'm guessing. I don't know that. It's just a cracker, just a little piece of a cracker, not very tasty by any means. So don't expect to get a meal out of this. (laughs) But at the same time, this is an ordinance that Jesus set up. And what he says is, do this in remembrance of me. With that in mind, let me show you some things that it represents. First of all, Paul says, do not take this lightly. Do not take this lightly. Because it represents the body that was broken. The body that was crushed, if you will, of Jesus. It represents the blood. It's not blood. It's not the body of Christ, obviously. It represents that. Just as baptism represents a person coming to know Christ, and they're buried just like they died, and they're rose again just like Jesus did. It represents that. And so the Lord's Supper is a very important element that we have in the church. Jesus told us to do this. We didn't come up with this. He left it for us here as a passage we just read that you can look up there. Again, in verse 27, he writes, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In that term, none of us are worthy, right? Not a one of us. But remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church at Corinth, the born-again believers the ones that have given their life to Christ, and he's renewed them. So nothing that we do makes us worthy to take this. It's because of all that Jesus did that makes us worthy to take this. It doesn't say that we cannot take it because we're not worthy enough if we have Jesus Christ. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the body of the church, just like this body. I know we've got visitors here, and you're welcome here, and you're welcome to participate. Like I say, nobody's going to try to stop you if you want to take it. That's between you and God. Don't you worry about it. But I want you to understand this is just a representation of the body and the blood of Jesus. That's what it is. It reminds us of some things. First of all, Paul says not to be taken lightly. In other words, this is a very important ordinance that Jesus set up. This ordinance is one of only two in all the Bible that he tells us to do this. As often as you do it. He doesn't set a time limit. We could do it once a month, twice a month if we wanted to. But this church has chosen to do it once a quarter. And so at the Christmas time, I think it's a great time to do this. But he says not to take it lightly. And we we joke about it just being an untasty cracker and a little small tiny bit of grape juice, but it's what they represent that's so important. It's not so much of what it is because it just represents the body of Christ. It represents us taking the body of Christ and making it our own, being a part of us. The second thing I think it does, it reminds us what Christ did for us. The tremendous price that He paid for us. The shame, the humiliation, the pain that He suffered on the cross so that you and I could live today and for eternity. The shame, the humiliation, the pain. Imagine what it would be like to hang on a cross of old, rugged, rough lumber, your back has already been ripped apart by the whipping he took the night before. Literally open wounds. And they put him on this old rough timber of a cross and put him up there. Suspended only by his hands, which are nailed to the cross. And then not only that, but now, we don't use this too often, but go back and check this out. Most of the time these prisoners, as he was called, were crucified naked. And the humiliation. Now this is God's Son hang on the tree. This is the Son of God. Why in the world would He have done this? In simple terms, because He loved you that much. He loves me that much. He loves each one of you that much. It was a shameful, humiliating as people came by. Now, we have pictured in our minds a lot of times. We see pictures like this. These are big, tall crosses. But if you go back and really check the history of this, that's not really accurate. Most of the crosses were just a few feet off the ground. And people could come by and literally punch the person being crucified or spit upon them or whatever they chose to do. And so it had to be a humiliating process, number one. But it had to be a tremendously painful process also as you hung there in that cross. So this Lord's Supper reminds us the tremendous price that Jesus paid for you and I. Why did he love us so much? I have no idea. I've been around some of you now for about three and a half years, and I'm still wondering why he did it for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But God loved us that much. And God knew that the only way for us to miss hell itself was for there to be what we call a Savior. And God searched through the heavens, and there was nobody qualified except one person. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he was the Son of God the one that we celebrate next week as being the baby Jesus. He had grown up, and now here he was, a man of about 33 years old. And now he had become what God had sent him to be. Now imagine, that little baby that we celebrate, that's pictured here on this table in front of us, that little baby from day one knew what his destiny would be, that he was to die upon a cross, For people like you and I that he never physically knew. But yet it was so important to you and I. And he died upon that cross those years later. To remember what Christ did. Again, that tremendous price that he paid for us. The shame. The humiliation. The pain of the cross. But it also designated, it's also designated to remind us of whose we are. Not who we are, but whose we are. If you're a child of God, you belong to Jesus Christ. And you're somebody special. Now, I know we don't feel like it sometimes. And if you're like I am, every day I mess up on a continuous basis And I have to get before God every day of my life and say, Lord, forgive me. I messed up again. I'm expecting any day for him to say, "Nope, that's it. I've forgiven you too many times. It's over. But you know, I find out that God always forgives our sins. He makes it available to us. He knows we're mess ups. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's just waiting on us to come back to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I've blown it again. And that's what this supper represents. It also is designed to remind us of whose we are. Paul writes, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. Think about those words. We have been bought with a price. Somebody paid the price that I would not have to spend eternity in hell. Who in the world would do that for me? Only one person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He looked at me, and I believe with every ounce of my being, if I had been the only person in the history of mankind that would have accepted him, he would have done it exactly the same way. Because there was no other way to do it. Jesus says, here's the price. How can I find somebody? To pay? God said, here's the price. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. I remember hearing a preacher one time on TV speaking, talking about that, that God just couldn't, that Jesus couldn't wait to go to the cross. I don't find that as true. Because my Bible tells me that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he prayed three times, Father, let this pass from me. Don't make me do this. He knew what it was going to be like. Jesus did not want to go to the cross, but he did want to do God's will. And he knew that God's will, in order to save people like you and I, That's the only way it could be accomplished. And Jesus prayed, Father, I don't want to do this. Let this pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Do you see the love that God had for us as human beings, as total mess-ups? I mean, we've blown it so many times, every one of us, probably on a daily basis. And God says, but I've got an answer for it. And I know because of what Jesus did that one of these days when my life is over, and it may not be that long, the next breath I take after I fall asleep will be in front of Jesus Christ. That's what I look forward. That's the hope. That's why we call it the hope of Christmas. We now have hope for a tomorrow because that little baby came to this earth that we celebrate just next week. That he came as a small baby. Why didn't he just come? I mean, God could have sent a grown man. Why didn't he just do that? Because he was as human as you and I are. He was as physical. He hurt. He cried. He did everything that you and I did growing up. He skinned his knees like we did. He did everything that we could possibly do except he was God. Can you imagine living for 33 years and knowing what your destiny is going to be down the end of it? That you're going to one day be nailed to a cross. You're going to suffer. You're going to painful. The humiliation and all that went with it just because Jesus loved you that much. God cares about us to this day. But it also serves for us to remember what Jesus is showing us through these elements. We're going to take in just a moment. It's called the Lord's Supper just because it was the last supper before Jesus died. That's why it's called that. Yes, it was a little different setting than we've got. They were sitting around sharing the bread and the wine together. And they were just having a good time. But it was at that moment that Jesus they began to realize what Jesus was saying I'm fixing to die tomorrow. Because they said, no, no, you can't do that. They didn't understand who he was. In fact, one of the disciples, by the name of Peter, says, Lord, I won't let that happen. I'll stop him." And when Jesus went to pray, Peter when he saw the guards coming, he drew a sword. And the Bible says he, thank goodness, he was a bad aim. He tried to cut the guy's head off and missed. He cut his ear off. And what did Jesus tell him? Put up your sword. That's not going to accomplish anything. And he reached down and put the man's ear back in its place. You say, well, what's that got to do tonight? How would you like to been that man that night? Can you imagine what he thought? Here he was to arrest Jesus. Here this crazy lunatic follower of his draws a sword and cuts his, trying to cut his head off, just missed. Cut his ear off. And here this man turns around and heals him at a moment when he's fixing to go to the cross within just a few short hours. Now we're not told much about that man, but I can't wait to get to heaven to see him. What were you thinking that night? Can you imagine his testimony? I'm sure that the next day as Jesus was hanging on that cross, he may not have gone to it physically, but I bet you he was watching from a distance and saying, this man did that for me. He did that for me. He healed my ear, but he also healed my life that day. Through these elements, Jesus is showing us of what this supper is. It represents His death, His burial, and His resurrection. It's easy to see that we can say that we can see His death in it because we know He's fixing to die in a short time. It's easy to see His burial because we know He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But yet, We can't see that part called the resurrection until you read the story and realize what took place. I can imagine on the day that Jesus died, there was a party going on in hell. Those demons were jumping. We did it. We killed him. We got rid of him. He's dead. He's out of our way. But oh, do they miss it. They had a party in hell that day. They were celebrating. The demons were dancing and cheering and all the things that go on. But yet the next morning, that grave was empty. There wasn't nobody in that grave. And somebody said, wait a minute, he said he would be resurrected. You think it could have happened? I'm sure there were skeptics. But these 12 that we're talking about, the disciples... At this time, there's 11 since Judas went out and committed suicide. But they were celebrating. And all of a sudden, for the first time, that's what he was talking about. That's what he was saying to us. That's what he was trying to show us is going to take place. The resurrection. And, folks, because of that resurrection, we can have hope of Christmas and Easter and all the rest of the holidays, for that matter. But most of all, we can have hope that Jesus, just like he said, is sitting on the right hand of the throne, the right hand of God, waiting for us to come up there. Now, I've lost a lot of friends over the years. In fact, just last Saturday, we had to go to Paris, Texas, to bury a good friend of ours that was a member of a church when we was up there. Good friend. But yet I could tell that crowd... And there was, I believe, about 250 people. Now, I didn't count them. I'm just guessing. But that's not ministerial. counting either. There was a lot of people. But I could tell that crowd, because he, was, he had been a rough character. I mean, this Jackie Wheeler had been rough in his days. And he, was, he still had some rough edges, but we all do. But I could tell that crowd there the day that I said, I remember one time me and him was talking, sitting on the back of his pickup. And I said, Jackie, let me ask you a question. Do you know today if you were to die that you'd spend eternity in heaven? And he said, yes, I do. So said, I remember it as a kid, making that commitment. Now, that doesn't mean he always lived the best life, believe me. But yet, he remembered that. And my question to you before we take this, this offering, before we take this ordinance this morning, do you know that? That's what this is about. This represents the body and the blood of Jesus that died for you. If you don't know that Jesus, here in a few minutes later, we'll give you an opportunity to. Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. That is the most important decision you'll ever make. Because if you turn that one down, there's no hope whatsoever. It reminds us of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm going to ask our guys to come forward this time as we prepare to take this off this ordinance. Again, let me remind you, I know I've said it a couple times already, but if you're visiting here and you want to take it, by all means. This is not our table. This is the Lord's table. Personally, I believe God intended it. Jesus intended it for the church and the born-again believers. But that's between you and God. You don't. Nobody's going to stop you from taking it. Paul writes in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.